You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to another breakfast show. Uh, you are joined this morning by myself, Tokir Tanweer, and Imam Asim Maksud here in the studio of Voice of Islam. We hope that you're having a lovely day. Um, we certainly have a great show for our listeners today. Um, as you know, the agenda of the show, we like to go through some of the main news which is happening uh, around the world, uh, also with regards to some of the news which is happening with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. Um, and then uh, we like to go into two of our main segments. So after our uh, news our, we will be um, going into our two main segments and we're looking at can we set aside a third of our planet for nature so this is a very interesting topic and uh, we'll be listening to Dr. Andreas um, for this particular segment and we'll, we also have Simon Mayer, um who, will, who we will also be listening to um, and after that from 8.15 to 9 we will be looking at the, the topic Teachers in England uh, will not back down over pay, says Union. Um, and for this segment, we'll be listening to Associate Professor uh, Per Angzel. Um, we'll also be listening to an interview of uh, Basirat Anjum Siddiqui. She's also a secondary school teacher, also a producer, one of the producers of the Voice of Islam radio station. So we'll be listening to that um, within within that segment. Um, but before uh, we get into our topics, uh, we're going to, as as I mentioned, that this is the news hour, and we're looking at some of the news which is happening around the world. And I'll start this off by uh, looking at the weather forecast, and this from BBC Weather. So the forecast for today, uh, it will be cloudy to start for most, um, but southern Scotland and northern and eastern England will see bright spells develop later on and most bright in northern Scotland and a largely dry day and the forecast for tonight is that uh, cloud will break up leaving variable cloud for most and northern England and southern central Scotland will become widely clear however mostly dry but the far north may see some showers so yeah that's the weather forecast for our listeners um we do uh, as you know you probably heard it from other presenters as well but uh, on on the 4th of 4th of march uh, it will be the um, it will be the inauguration um of the of the Be- of the battle for the front part so uh, this this was the part which was burnt down and uh, by the grace of Allah the almighty um the you know redevelopment stage has uh, has come to its final stages and the inauguration will be tomorrow um and that will be followed by the peace symposium so very exciting and uh, i would urge the listeners as well to please stay tuned at the Voice of Islam radio station as well um, for more updates regarding that. Um, so we'll we'll start this uh, segment off and I'll pass the mic on to uh, Brother Asan Maksud who does have some very interesting news with regards to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, so, uh, Asalaamu Alaikum Asan, how are you doing this morning? Asalaamu Imam Tukir, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, very well, very well. And how is uh, your department, Al-Fazl, going? Uh, 
Yeah, we are doing good. Also very excited for tomorrow's event. Also preparing for that. And Al-Fazal will also be covering uh, this historical event uh, live on our website and app. So yeah, very excited for tomorrow. And and for for the listeners that don't know, this is the the magazine Al Fazal International, which is specifically specifically for the Urdu uh, readers. Yes. Um, so you know, for some for some of our listeners who do have a background in Urdu as well, and uh, you know they they have an interest in in reading Urdu newspapers. What would you like to say? How can you encourage the listeners to read more on this? And uh, yes, that's right. Uh, it's the uh, twice weekly newspaper of the community published in the mm. Urdu language. Mm. And uh, since 2019, we have also started a an app and uh, a website uh, com. So uh, all the listeners who are uh, do understand Urdu and can read the Urdu language, they can visit our website. And uh, on daily basis, we do publish posts there, including uh, news articles and also other articles regarding different topics. And and you also have uh, audio clips now available as well, right? Yes, that's right. For Recently, we've also started a YouTube channel, uh, which also has the audio clips of all the articles we publish on our website so those who uh, are not familiar with reading urdu they can even listen to those articles while traveling or anywhere they're going so uh, on the youtube channel the all the audio clips are available as well fantastic no excellent work uh, that you and your team are doing yeah, very good. Um, so, yeah, if you could just uh, walk us through some of the news uh, with regards to the community. So, yes, I've got a few news reports from around the world, starting, of course, with the latest virtual meeting with His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. So, last Sunday, 122 female stu- students of the community in Bangladesh uh, met His Holiness virtually, and these were only university and college-going students. And during the meeting, His Holiness gave very comprehensive and thorough answers to questions asked by members of the community. And here I would like to mention a couple of very interesting questions asked by some members. A member of the community said during the meeting that uh, she wanted to share a sad story to illustrate her point. And she said that her sister got admitted to a hospital during her pregnancy and due to a delay caused by formalities, uh, then she had to be admitted to the ICU where she unfortunately lost her child because of the formalities. And she asked His Holiness which uh, should be given preference in the medical profession, formalities or ethics. And to this His Holiness said that formalities can be done later on. The first preference should be to save the life of the person. His Holiness further said that morality is the first preference, professional ethics is the first preference. Both require that the patient be given priority for the treatment instead of involving or devoting time to completing the formalities of admission and this and that. That is wrong. So those doctors who are after formalities and do not take care of the patient immediately and do not show sympathy to their patients are not doctors, they are butchers. So whatever they have done, it was wrong. The first preference of a doctor should be the value of human life, not the formality of the administration. 
His Holiness added that a true human being should, as I've already said, prioritize saving human life and showing sympathy for human beings. So uh, morality, you know, is a very basic teaching of all the religions, including Islam. And the Quranic teaching regarding saving someone's life is mentioned in the following verse. Uh, God Almighty says, Whosoever killed a person, it shall be as if he had killed all of mankind. And whoso gave life to one, it shall be as if he had given life to all of mankind. So His Holiness has made it very clear in his answer that saving someone's life should be the first priority and everything else can come after that. Another student uh, pursuing a degree in zoology asked His Holiness how students could study the Holy Quran alongside their usual studies. She also sought advice on how to simultaneously study the Holy Quran and science in a complementary manner. And to this His Holiness said that being a Muslim you should recite the Holy Quran daily while doing so, you should also read the translation of it alongside. Then you will know what you are reading from the Holy Quran and the meaning of it. Apart from that, as you are studying zoology, you should try to find the verses from the Holy Quran that are related to science, the existence of human beings and life on earth. Then you can study and relate those verses to your subject. This is how you can find out more about or get more enlightened about your subject from the Holy Quran. So you'll have to spend some time on this. Then read some commentaries on it. You can read the commentary from the five-volume commentary of the Holy Quran. And there are quite a number of articles and speeches and discourses by Hazrat Muslimod, the, sec the second caliph of the Promised Messiah, that have been translated into English. So uh, no matter what we are studying, we'll always get help and uh, different points about it from the Holy Quran. So, you know, it's very important to understand the Holy Quran by reading its translation and commentaries uh, of it, as His Holiness said. During this meeting, various other questions were also asked. A detailed report in English can be read at alhakam.com and highlights, of course, will be available in the MTA program this week with Hazur uh, later today. Uh, now, moving on to other news reports from the community around the world. Uh, the community in Norway held a health seminar on the topic of sleep and troubles people are uh, finding uh, the tr troubles people are getting in finding good sleep, and this is also called uh, insomnia. And uh, as you know, this is very common in this day and age. And it is said that uh, one in every three people in the UK face this problem, uh, and it is particularly common in elderly people. So this seminar was attended by members of the community where different lectures were, were held and uh, it was also a very successful event. Moving to our, new, uh, our next news report, the community in Jamaica held its uh, annual refresher course on the 22nd of January and the event was aimed at educating the new converts to Islam Ahmadiyyat on the basic beliefs and practices of Islam. Uh, by the grace of Almighty Allah, uh, the event was a great success as members gave positive feedback in regard to the event, and in total 45 members attended the event. Uh, moving to Canada, Majlis Khudamul Amdiya Canada, the auxiliary organization for the youth of the community, has started a Fajr Fit, a nationwide initiative 
for the spiritual and physical uplift of all the youth of the community. And the purpose of this campaign is to encourage all youth to, to begin their day with the blessed and winning habits of rising early, leaving the comfort of their beds, and gathering at the local mosque to offer Fajr prayers, which is the morning prayer, in congregation with their brothers. And this campaign will also help to create a better bond between members of the community through car sharing and picking each other up from their respective homes. And this campaign not only aims to improve one's spiritual health, but also one's physical health, as the youth will engage in physical activities after offering their prayer and recitation of the Holy Quran. Uh, so these are a few news reports I have today of the community from around the world. Thank you so much for that, uh, Imam Asim Um other, other news with regards to the community as well, there were a few um, national conventions uh, held in Indonesia and uh, and in Canada regarding the uh, Wakfino scheme. So in uh, in Canada they had the Wakfino day recently in Canada and also in Indonesia they had the uh, gathering the convention of the national uh, Wakfino. And uh, as our listeners know as well, I tend to mention Wakfino quite a bit in the studio um, because I personally uh, I'm also serving in the central Wakfino department and uh, <clears throat> the whole purpose of this scheme it was initiated by the fourth caliph of the MDA Muslim community um, on the 3rd of April ni- 1987 and the whole purpose of uh, this scheme was that uh, parents they dedicate their unborn children to the uh, to the scheme of Wakfino um, and when these children when they grow up you know they dedicate themselves for the community um, not only that but also excel within their different professions for example there's a lot of work the community is doing in Africa um, such as in hospitals they need teachers so what the what the community requires is that these individuals they excel in their education and then they devote themselves for the community um, and and we have many examples of such individuals who have become teachers who have become doctors who have become um, missionaries or imams of the community and they have been serving in various capacities around the world now this example when we look at old scriptures or when we look at the holy quran uh, if we look at the bible we see that to give time to or to dedicate oneself for for the service of their faith is something you know which which is very much cherished and loved in the sight of God almighty and you will find examples of it of this in in other scriptures as well for example if we look at the mother of Jesus um you know she forms an integral part of his name and so we commence uh, his life by a brief mention of his mother and his grandmother, grandmother of Jesus, Hannah, loved a pious life and uh, had a keen desire to have a pious child. And she vowed that her child would be dedicated to the service of the church, of the synagogue. And in due course, she gave birth to a girl who was named Mary. And uh, and it was Mary, you know, who dedicated later on, who then dedicated her uh, time for the service of the church um, and in, however during those days only males were dedicated to the service of the church nevertheless 
due to her vows that uh, she had made earlier, she dedicated Mary, uh, her only only child, to the service of the ch- uh, church. And uh, Prophet Zachariah, uh, he became Mary's guardian. And Mary grew from childhood to womanhood um, in the church and lived a pious and chaste life. So pious was young Mary that her guardian, uh, Prophet Zachariah, he begged God to grant him a pious son like Mary. And he was granted a son uh, named Yahya, or John, uh, if you would call in in, in the Bible, uh, who became a prophet in due course. And uh, the verse, this is mentioned in the Holy Quran as well, in chapter uh, 19, verse 5, where you know God Almighty had accepted his prayer. Um, and uh, he said that, Oh my Lord, I have dis- despaired while praying for this, never have I been unblessed in my prayer to you. Um, and the word, the Arabic word here, which has been used, is shakia, and it's astonishing and eloquent. And it means that, O oh Allah, I am not the unfortunate one who prays to you and then despairs and desists from praying. The prayer was so great and done with such fervor that while he was still praying, Allah gave him the glad tidings of Yahya and Allah the Almighty himself named the child and this reflects the love of God and the and the Lord of great majesty um, and the Holy Quran is a wonderful book and it teaches such a graceful ways of expressing one's love that man is astonished by it and when when you have a child you often you wonder that what should uh, what should uh, the name of the child be however here we find in this example that God Almighty Himself uh, gives the glad tanning of a son, and and uh, God Almighty says that Ismahu Yahya, that uh, I will name him, name him Yahya, and this just goes to show that uh, the love that uh, Allah the Almighty has for His beloved people. So, the crux of the matter is that you will find examples of this in the past as well. So, I just thought I would I would share that. Um, so we're soon going into our our first segment and we will be looking at can we set aside a third of our planet for nature um, and for this segment we will be <coughs> listening to <coughs> Simon Mayer who is a ecological economist lecturer in sustainability in the Department of Environment and Geography at the University of York and followed by uh, another interview from Dr. Andreas and he is a lecturer in climate change and the environment at the Grantham Institute Imperial College, London. <clears throat> um, so this is the first segment we will be looking at. And after that, we will be going into our second segment and we're looking at teachers in England uh, will not back down over pay, says the union. Um, so this is the segment we'll be looking at from 8.15 to 9. Um, and we'll be listening to Associate Professor uh, per Engel, who is associate professor of Psycholo- psychology at UCL Social Research Institute, University College London, and also an associate professor professor of Nowfield College, University of Oxford. And for this segment, we'll also be listening to Basira Siddiqui, who is a specialism in theology and religious studies, and also a teacher at a secondary school. 
in uh, London teaching the subjects of religious studies and ethics. So that is the lineup for our listeners today. Um, but if any of our listeners do have anything to say, if they have any question that they want to ask myself and Imam Asad Maksud, then you can also do that by calling us on 0286877878. Or you can even tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK. Or for more information, um, you can go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk and there you'll find uh, you'll find you can listen to um you can listen to the podcast as well of the breakfast shows and the drive time and there's many other shows so please do take benefit from that as well so we're just going to be going into a short break and after the short break we'll be going into our main segment so don't go anywhere we'll be back shortly after this break You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community in Islam. Thy boundless blessings and peace be upon Mustafa, O Lord. Verily, through him we receive thy light. My soul is eternally bonded to the soul of Muhammad. I made my heart drink deep of the brimful cup of this love. None better than he could I discover in the whole world. Most certainly, I have broken my heart loose from the grip of others. God's glory is reflected in your virtues, my beloved. Him I made my own by having made you mine. Having touched the hem of thy garment, O God, one is saved from being entrapped by the charms of others. Verily, I bow my head at your threshold alone. O oh, my beloved, I swear by thy unity, in my love of thee I have become oblivious of my own self. By God, all other images have vanished from my heart ever since I had your countenance etched upon it. It was because of you that we became the best of all the peoples. O Prophet of God, who is the best of all the Prophets, as you marched ahead of all the rest, we too stepped forward. Let alone the human beings, even all the angels in the heavens follow suit and join me as I sing thy praise. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to Voice of Islam. Online, on mobile and on DAB. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself, Tukir Ahmed, and Imam Asan Maksud here in the studio of Voice of Islam. And we're looking at the topic can we set aside a third of our planet for nature? Uh, so, the gist of the story is that it's being called a last chance for nature. 
100 countries uh, backing calls to protect 30% of the planet. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a very, um, very important issue, right? Uh, we've, we've all experienced the changes of global warming, how the weather each year, you know, it's, it's changing. Um, summers are becoming really hot. I remember just uh, the last year, uh, we, the summer was, uh, has been so hot after a while. And uh, the, the, it's, it's not only that, that, you know, you'll get a few days of hot weather, but prolonged hot weather. And uh, things, this is having an impact on, uh, on, on, on places like Antarctica as well, where ice caps are melting. And because of that, the sea level the water is rising so it's it's a huge issue and although we do have electric cars as well you know the, there is the question that uh, there's still would you prefer a car which runs on petrol or would you prefer a car which runs on electric uh, because we've had a conversation as well with colleagues here and uh, even with electric cars you know if you were to go on a journey for five hours you you need to recharge uh, the car at least once and that takes half an hour to one hour as petrol you know you, you need to just put the petrol in which takes uh, less than five minutes and, and yeah you're off to go so sometimes people have their their convenience there as well but yeah Asun if you can just uh, walk us through this topic what's, what's the gist of the story here so yes uh, the gist of the story uh, is that it's being called a last chance for nature 100 countries backing calls to protect 30 percent of the planet uh, and the aim is to reach this goal by 2030 and conserve forest and other vital ecosystems in order to restore the natural world and the target is the key ambition of the un biodiversity commit summit but as the talks in montreal canada uh, move into their final days there is division over this and many other targets and biodiversity refers to all living things from polar bears to plankton and the way they fit together to sustain life on earth and uh, so what's wrong and how do we fix it scientists have warned that uh, with forests and glasslands being lost at unprecedented rates and oceans under pressure from pollution and overfishing Humans are pushing on the earth beyond safe, li safe limits and this includes increasing the risk of diseases like SARS, COVID-2, Ebola and HIV spilling over from wild animals into human populations. And under the proposed agreement, uh, countries would sign up targets to s expand protected areas such as nature reserves and it draws inspiration from the so-called father of biodiversity, the biologist Edward O. Wilson who called for half of earth to be protected. But there is debate over how much land and sea to include and some scientists fear the targets may be diluted. And designating areas for nature in a way that is meaningful will be a challenge but it is absolutely required uh, says Professor Mark Emerson at of Queen's University Belfast. And speaking to the BBC at the Biodiversity Conference, head of the UN Environment Programme, uh, Inga Anderson, also stressed that the Biodiversity Agreement deals explicitly with nature's contribution to the impact of climate change. Uh, 
uh, and protecting the rights of indigenous people have been in front center of the talks. The Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was uh, drowned out by a protest by a group of young uh, indigenous people during his opening speech. And thousands took to the streets of Montreal on Saturday to call for in indigenous voices to be heard and they occupy some of the most biodiverse areas of the planet, places that uh, it is particularly vital to protect, such as the Amazon rainforest, but they fear that uh, they are being left out of decisions over what to protect and could even be thrown off their an ancestral lands in the name of con conservation. Uh, and uh, Eslek Holmberg from the Sami Council, uh, who lives in uh, Nugen on the border between Finland and Norway, echoed her words. Uh, it is mainly in the Sami areas where we have more or less unmodified nature. That's proof of our work in conservation, he said. Thank you for that. And, and also, according to the conversation group, the WWF, countries are veering towards the latter and uh, the general sense at the negotiations is that uh, there should be global targets to ensure that we conserve the most important places, says uh, Lucia Ruiz uh, of WWF Mexico. Um, but these protected areas must be effectively managed. Um, in other words, it's not just about how much of the land and sea is protected, but what is allowed to happen in these areas. And conservation must include re restoration. So in England, the government says that it is protecting about 28% of the land for nature. Uh, but in reality, the figure is closer to 5% according to one report. And while 38% of sea around the British Isles are designated uh, marine reserves, many are still subject to damaging fishing practice such as uh, bottom trawling. Uh, where fish gear is dragged along the seabed. Um, so who pays to protect a third of our planet? So the issue of how finance flows to poorer countries is a big unresolved issue. And while agreements on protecting 30% of the land and sea would be regarded as a milestone, scientists warn that uh, this alone uh, would not be enough to stem biodiversity loss. Um, I mean, it's very interesting that uh, I didn't know that in the government here in England, uh, they are saying that it is protecting about 28% of land for nature. So I, I, I guess in that sense, every country would have, uh, would be looking into, into protecting the nature as well. And uh, every country would have a certain percentage of how much land there should be um, within within their country. And what's interesting is that uh, recently there was a virtual meeting His Holiness had with the Amdiya um, Muslim community, the Elders Association in Norway. And uh, one of the members, he he asked the question to His Holiness and he said that Global warming and climate change are among the challenging facing humanity and calls to reduce environmental population are being made on various platforms. And he asked His Holiness that how individuals and members of the community could assist in this issue. And His Holiness, he replied that as the world's population grows, more land in 
more land is needed for habitation and for food production, which often results in cutting down forest. And His Holiness noted that forests are being cleared in Africa and poorer countries such as Pakistan, contributing to changes in weather patterns. Um, and His Holiness pointed out that Pakistan used to have a lot of greenery, but now contractors have removed much of it without replanting trees or implement, implementing a system to converse water. And His Holiness suggested that rich countries can aid in developing vast arable areas in Africa to help provide food for the world. And if they support the necessary development, um, and he emphasized the importance of educating people on the need to use um, exiting arable land instead of cutting down forest. Um, and he said that if they must cut down trees, they should replace them by replanting more. And he said that participating in tree planting can help reduce population, um, can, can help reduce pollution. And we should also raise awareness about negative impacts of deforestation. And I mean, we have covered many times uh, this topic of climate change on uh, the Voice of Islam as well. And it's very interesting to note that, uh, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he also encouraged tree planting. And, uh, you know, there, there, is, there, is a, there is a very um, famous narration of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where he said, you know, that uh, you should uh, plant a tree. Uh, this is an act of a charity. He said that if you plant a tree and uh, others benefit from it, an animal benefits from it or humans benefit of it, then that person who has planted it, he will be reaping that reward from that person. So the narration is that when a Muslim plants a tree, whatever is eaten from it is charity from, from him. And whatever is stolen is charity, and whatever is subtracted is from uh, is from it is charity. So, Islam encourages that uh, we should also look after the environment as well, and we should uh, plant trees. And uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association, not only here in the UK but also around the world as well, there have been many initiatives where have they've they, where they have. Uh, got together and they've planted a lot of trees and apart from that Islam says that you know you should look after your health as well and and nowadays instead of you know burning fuel or to go from one place to another we should encourage one another to walk more to cycle more um, as this is far better uh, for our physical health as well and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has also said that uh, a healthy believer is better than a weak believer. So we should look after our physical health as well. And by that also, we will be helping the environment. Uh, now we're going to our first guest. Uh, we are joined uh, by Simon Meg. Good morning and thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Hi, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so yeah, you're. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mention your introduction. So you're you're an ecological uh, envi- economist lecturer in sustainability in the Department of Environment and Geography at the University of York. Um, now I I wanted to ask you uh, 
if you can please explain for the benefit of our listeners a bit about yourself and your research. Uh, yeah, so uh, as you said, I'm an ecological economist. So uh, what that means is that my, my research starts from the idea that economic activity isn't just about money. So it's not just about buying and selling things. When we talk about the economy, really, what we mean is uh, what, how we take material resources like coal or wood or whatever it might be, and then transform these into the things we want or need, like housing or transport or social activities. So, of course, like money is very important in our capitalist economy, but really what I'm interested in are relationships that shape how we take resources out of the environment and then the pollution and waste that goes back into the environment as a result of what we do with those resources. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And how important is it now more than ever to care for our environment? Um, I think it's really important to care about our environment. And mm. I do think when we talk about the environment, it can be kind of tempting to think about it in terms of like polar bears and pandas, you know, things that we care about, but are fundamentally a long way from the pressure of our daily lives. But actually, I think most of the environment is a lot less glamorous than that. The environment is like it's the air that we breathe. It's the food that we eat. So ecosystems and all our societies around the world have developed with very specific environmental conditions. So for more or less the last 12,000 years, global temperatures have been incredibly stable. And with climate change, that's no longer the case. And as the climate changes, as our environment changes, that can have big impacts on people's health and livelihoods. And also nowadays seeing somewhat disregard for nature um, and our environment, what consequences could that potentially have on us? Sure. I mean, I think there's kind of two parts to that question, right? So mm. there's specific examples about the consequences it could have. Is um, So I'm part of the project which looked at how we might try and manage the ocean around the UK, mm. both in terms of trying to avoid making climate change worse and also how to adapt it to climate change if it happens. And with this, co- this project is with some colleagues at Plymouth uh, Marine Laboratory. And one piece of work they're doing is showing that if climate change gets worse, we'll likely see quite substantial impacts on commercial fish stocks in UK waters. So this has got big knock-on effects in terms of just people's ability to live, right? People's ability to make money. So very directly, you've got fishermen who depend on those species, um, but it goes much broader than that. Because if those species disappear, if fishermen stop being able to work, you also have impacts on everyone who's employed in the supply chain that those fishermen are linked into. So people building and maintaining boats, uh, fishmongers, retailers, uh, you know, the list goes on. So, And this is just scratching the surface because there's also work looking at how increased extreme weather from climate change could disrupt international supply chains, how extremes of heat could kill people, particularly those working in manual jobs. So as the environment changes, it's going to impact across all areas of our lives. Um, hmm. I, do, I do just want to touch on the first bit of your question about there being a disregard for nature of yeah. the environment because I don't, I don't necessarily think that I see a disregard for nature from the environment. Mm. I think actually a lot of us do care about the environment, but we're trapped in a system that makes it hard for us to actually do anything meaningful on these issues. Um, fundamentally, the environmental challenges that we face, so whether it's climate change or biodiversity loss or air pollution, are the result of all the production that happens. So basically making things mm. requires us to take materials out of the environment, use energy to turn it into something else, and unavoidably, in that process, you end up 
causing environmental damage. So you destroy a habitat or you emit greenhouse gases or you put waste into a landfill or you know, maybe you do all three, right? And the issue here is really that the scale of that production, so the sheer amount of stuff that we make and the fact that we make more of it every year. Um, so, you know, we can all do small things to help. You can recycle your waste, you can drive less, you can stop flying. But unless you can tackle that underlying dynamic of taking more stuff out of the environment, turning it into more stuff and generating more waste and pollution, you're not really getting to the core of the problem. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that actually leads on to our next question as well. Um, but I'll pass the mic on to my colleague here. Um, as you know, he has a few questions he wanted to ask. Yeah. Uh, yes, good morning, Simon. Uh, yes, my next question was that uh, what are some of the ways we can help uh, our environment? If so, we can try to implement them in our into our daily routines. I think you have already partially answered this question. Well, well, I mean, like, so you can do all the things I just said, right? So there are, you know, you can eat less meat, you can drive less, you can fly less, and those are good things. Mm. And if people are doing them, like, that's great. But what I suppose, what I would say is don't, don't kill yourself trying to make those things happen because the, the big problems of the environment that we face, mm. like, are genuinely really big, right? The, the core dynamic of making more stuff to make more money is really what sits at the heart of, of our capitalist economy. So, and, and under our capitalist economy, most of us are basically just trying to survive, I think, right? So, you know, you, you look after your kids, you go to work, and at the end of the week, you're tired. And then someone, you know, someone like me comes on the radio and says, oh, stop driving your car, save the turtles. And you think, well, I, I like driving my car. And, and this is why we get into the thing about disregard for nature. Like, I don't think it's about that. It's about what you have control over. It's about what you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And it's about the way we're put to work and tied out and that control over really big things taken away from us. But I, I, I don't want to kind of put it down on this. I do think there are things we can do. But I think the big changes come from, rather than doing small things, coming together in our communities and trying to organise for bigger change. So that could be things like trying to influence a local politician to stop fossil fuel development or to protect some trees from being cut down, or even something like trying to get advertising banned in your community. Um, or it could be you try and pull resources and develop like a community group, so you can come together and share tools, for example, so you all have to buy less stuff, uh, or put together a community wind farm or help insulate each other's houses. Does that, those kind of ideas make sense? Absolutely, absolutely, no, perfectly. Excellent. And, uh, you know, a hundred countries have begged to protect 30% of the planet. Um, How effective do you think uh, and efficient uh, this will be? I think at this stage, it's it's really hard to tell. I think it's a really interesting idea, but it it all depends actually how much governments will follow through with it. I mean, I I think I I was listening just before I came on, and you mentioned that the UK government claims that it already protects 28%. Of uh, our land and oceans uh, for nature, and I just, I don't, I don't believe that's true, really. I mean, and if we look at the history of uh, these kind of commitments, it can be a bit disappointing. So, the first international climate conference was in 1995, and since then, global emissions have risen dramatically. So, a third of all the carbon emissions emitted in the last 300 years came after that first climate conference, when there were pledges to reduce emissions. Um, and again, I, I don't say this to kind of try and 
prevent people from doing things but rather yeah. i want to say that if we want this kind of thing to work i think it comes down to us as citizens coming together to try and put pressure on governments and on big multinational corporations to make fundamental changes mm -hmm. so, so yeah so lastly do you think our government should introduce more interventions to help save our planet <laughs> yeah definitely i mean and this this can be on a good what on a governmental scale it can be what look like relatively small things so there are some simple things they could do right now which is like start to insulate every house in the uk you know there are multiple benefits to this obviously people are struggling with energy bills um but also we want them to use less energy so roll out a grant program to get insulation into housing um you could they can also do bigger things though they, they could change the tax system so for example at the moment predominantly what gets taxed is uh labor is you know people working uh and that's actually a relatively renewable relatively low carbon way to get things done so instead they could tax materials and energy more heavily uh, to incentivize people to put people to work rather than using those other things uh, and it can also regulate properly the big polluting industries like fossil fuels and aviation um or provide you know better public transport systems move to a four-day working week big things to pull people out of these cycles of continual production and consumption great thank you so much uh, simon ecological economist lecturer in sustainability in the department of environment and geography thanks so much for joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on this particular subject thank you no worries. thank you Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. Uh, yeah. So we've just heard from uh, Simon Mayer, who is a um, ecological economist lecturer um, in sustainability in the Department of Environment and Geography at the University of York. Uh, so we've just listened to him. Uh, we do have a clip for our listeners as well. And uh, this is um, from the program Faith Matters, and uh, it looks at the question of uh, climate change. And as a Muslim, you know, what what should be our role? Uh, you know, how can we uh, protect the environment as well? So let's listen. Um, and that's in relationship to the our human relationship with the environment, our interaction with it. And he says that are we called to be stewards of the environment under the Islamic teachings um, and he also says that oh, is the environment just there for our exploitation and use? Well Allah the Almighty is the creator of all, the creator of the universe is more than one, is, is the master and that he has created all for is for our benefit and this is what he mentions in the Holy Quran that all that has been created has been created, created for man. And obviously something that has been gifted to us, whenever someone gives a gift to a person, and that person is expected obviously to cherish it if he loves that person and to look after it and, and tries to maintain it in the condition that was given to him. This is the gift that has been given to us. So the universe is a gift that Allah the Almighty actually has given to the human race as such. And everything that has been put in it has been put in it with a specific purpose. Everything that God has created has been created with purpose and nothing is without purpose. And that is for the benefit of man who is the greatest of the God's creation. 
So, this planet is, is, uh, is the place of our abode in this life and it is the duty of every man to be able to look after and cherish that planet and to make sure that the balance that God has created in the, in, in the universe is not disturbed in any, in any respect. And that brings you to the question of uh, the environment and how man looks after the environment. And this is something that we know that uh, is now fully researched as how man destroys the environment and what needs to be done to make sure that we are not uh, harming the in environment as well. In Surah Rahman, Allah says, Ash-shamsu wal kamaru bi husban wa najmu wa shajaru yasjudan wa sama'arafa aha wa wada al-meezan. So, you know, God is pointing out to us that the sun and the moon run their courses according to their fixed times. And the stemless plants and the trees submit to him. Even the tiniest of stemless plants that they are submit to God Almighty as, as the creature. The heaven he has raised high above and set up as a measure that you may not transgress. This is the important thing, that you must not transgress the measure. And this is Allah, the Almighty, pointing out to us that the universe, in fact, has been created with good measure and man must not do anything that will upset that measure, upset that balance. So it is our responsibility. Each individual person, each society, each community has this responsibility of looking around them and see how one must pay due regard, due attention to looking after the environment as such. And we know that there are many things that we are aware of now uh, which man must do in order to make sure that yes he uses the uh, uh, universe the world as has been given to him and takes benefit of all that has been provided by God Almighty but he does not misuse that to that degree. We talk about uh, deforestations obviously in parts of the world where trees have been cut down you know on a scale and all the issues that they have caused uh, in those parts and other parts is something that we are well, well aware of. The Holy Prophet ﷺ, you know, he discouraged uh, Muslims that w when you go to war, when you conquer, you should not cut down trees, fruit-bearing trees. And you know, that was given 1400 years ago. And now man is now realizing the importance of maintaining this balance by not cutting down trees unwantonly. And he gave uh, uh, advice on a Muslim that he, when he plants a tree, he looks after it, it bears fruit, birds eat of it, then that Muslim is rewarded for that good act that he has done. And that actually shows us the actual life cycle of, of different, uh, different uh, creatures who will benefit from that one act of that one person. Then we have wastage, you know, this is an, or water wastage. Water is an essential part of this universe that we have and it's an essential part of our life. And this is something that we have always to look after. So wastage of water is something that obviously one needs to be well aware of so that it does not create problems in, in that nature. So man as an individual has been given the custodianship of this planet and it is his responsibility. And the Holy Prophet Sallallahu 1400 years ago has pointed these out to us and it is our responsibility to make sure that we are abiding by the true nature and teachings of Islam. Unfortunately, we see some events in recent past in, in certain parts of the world where so-called Muslims have actually have disregarded all these teachings 
not in just terms of the religion of Islam and the practices of Islam, but also with regard to the environment and are damaging the environment in that respect. So that is something that we all need to be wary of, that uh, it is uh, a, a gift from God, a gift that we must cherish and continue to uh, seek the benefits and rewards of that in environment. So that was a short clip um, from the MTA program, uh, Faith Matters, and a beautiful answer Dr. Zahid Saab uh, has given on this particular topic. Um, so, yeah, as, 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 a, as a Muslim, you know, uh, this, it's, it's really important that we, we should look after the environment. And even regarding the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, he was given the title of Rahmatullah Alameen that he was a mercy for the whole of mankind not just for humans alone but for the animals as well for for everyone um so in that sense it's really important for us that uh, you know we we should also look after the environment at an individual level as well but also um at a level where we get together as well and uh, you know we let the authorities know that uh, uh we should make every effort to to help and uh, uh, you know make sure the environment is a good place for for all of us to live um interesting uh, story um you know i i used to um i used to take the car to work i mean i still do i always take the car uh, to work um but in the summer i realized that um there's actually a route to go to my office through the park um so I don't have to take the car. So what I ended up doing in the summer is that I started jogging. I, I took the tram to to work, and on the way back I'll jog, jog back, and it's, it's a lot better. You know, you're you're saving money, you're saving fuel, <laughs> you know, you're looking after your health as well. So I think even the little things that we do has a has an impact on the society as well. So. You know, don't disregard even your small little efforts as well. You know, carry carry them, <laughs> carry them on as well. But at the same time, you know, um, let's all try to look after the environment. So we're just going into the news now, and after the news, we'll be listening to Dr. Andreas, um, and he's. Uh, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. peace be upon you and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself, Tukir Ahmed, and also Imam Asan Maksud here in the studio, Voice of Islam. Um, and now we're going to be listening to Dr. Andreas. And Dr. Andreas is a lecturer in climate change and the environment uh, at the Grantham Institute, Imperial College, London. And his research is focused on developing light-activated coatings that can drive useful chemistry using sunlight. Uh, for example, coatings for building facades that can purify polluted city air. So we're just going to be listening to him now. So we have with us at the Voice of Islam radio station, Dr. Andreas Hafizus. And uh, Dr. Andreas you are a lecturer in climate change and the environment at the Grantham Institute, Imperial College, London. And your research is focused on developing light-activated coatings that can drive useful chemistry using sunlight. 
Well, that's very interesting. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're just going to dwell straight into the topic. And I wanted to ask you if you can please explain what is biodiversity and how do you think biodiversity is affected by climate change? So I'll first start with a caveat in that it's not my expertise of my research, but I do know a bit about it and I can talk about it. So the biodiversity is in its name. It's about biological diversity. And there's different ways that we can look at biodiversity. We can look at it on the genetic level. So we can look at the DNA of different species. Um, we can look at it on the species level, how many different types of species there are. And we can look at it on the ecosystem level, um, where there's lots of different species living and interacting together. Um, and we live on an amazing planet, which is very, very biodiverse. And we only know uh, about a fraction of the different types of species that we have. We haven't really explored uh, the, the forests and the oceans in depth. There's still a lot that we don't know about the biodiversity on the planet, and we're learning all the time. But unfortunately, because of climate change, a lot of um, these species are actually at risk. So climate change, um, if the this is a not uh, too familiar with the with exactly what climate change refers to uh, climate change generally speaking is is talking about how there are changes in temperature and weather patterns with time um, and that happens anyway on the earth over thousands of years i mean your listeners are probably very familiar with the fact that there have been ice ages on the planet so there have been climate changes that have happened that have nothing to do with humanity. But unfortunately, right now, there's a process of global warming uh, that's occurring due to how people are behaving um, that's causing a climate change event to occur. Um, and that's affecting weather patterns and increasing droughts and forest fires and it's increasing sea temperatures and it's melting polar ice. There are lots of impacts because of that. And all of these impacts to the globe are affecting our biodiversity in different ways, many of them negatively. Absolutely. You know, climate change is a very huge issue. And uh, this leads me to my next question as well. Um, we know that nature is vital in our lives. Can you ex do you think um, that human activity is affecting aspects of nature? Oh, yeah, we, we are all living on the same planet together and everything that we do has an impact. It could be a positive impact. It can be a negative impact. Uh, and, you know, you, could, you can look throughout the ages of history and how humanity has interacted with nature, sometimes in, in quite negative ways. So we used to have woolly mammoths. We used to have dodos, but humans hunted these species um, irresponsibly and now we don't have them anymore because of human activity human behavior and it's not just to do with our hunting practices it's how we use our land as well and that's really affecting the, the climate um, in very complex ways it's, it's never simple so for example in brazil they're they're cutting down um, large parts of the rainforest to make way for agriculture and you would think, well, you know, they're, they're clearing one type of um, 
life form um, and then growing another, like in terms of plants. So should the impact be neutral overall? Uh, but it's more complicated than that because the, the, the rainforests that are there are very, very dense rainforests, are dense uh, with life, different plant life and different animal life. And the types of things that are being put in place instead are, are less dense. So they're absorbing less CO2, um, for, for example. So they're having a negative impact on our CO2 emissions and therefore warming the planet more. Also, they're clearing forestry for, you know, making space for cattle so that we can, we can have beef. And you know, cattle, they, they release a lot of emissions, um, a lot of methane emissions, which again, negatively affect our planet. So everything is linked and everything has consequences. That's just one example to do with farming. Of course, we all know about mining and how we get different um, minerals or uh, petrochemicals from the earth and these these practices are, are again not sustainable and we use a lot of energy to get these things out and they cause a lot of emissions and pollutions which are affect humans as well as life so everything is in is linked in a very intricate way and now we're starting to understand things a lot better than we did in the past um, and now we need to be much more careful um, how we go about every single aspect of our lives from how we produce it, our energy, how we travel, um, you know, how we heat our homes, how we make our clothing, food, every single aspect, we really need to reevaluate it and think about what is um, a more sustainable way of doing things that protects not only human life, but all life um, that we are the stewards of on the planet. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, Dr. Andres, I wanted to ask you more about your research. Um, now, we know your research is focused on developing light-activated coatings that can drive useful chemistry using sunlight. Can you tell us a bit more about this? And would this influence climate change, or is it more of a technique to deal with climate change? It's more of a mitigation measure. So um, it's a way of preventing further climate change from occurring. Um, so these types of technologies that I'm working on, um, they can drive a range of useful chemistry uh, that hopefully we can, we can commercialize into realizable technologies and actually have positive impacts on the world. So one technology that we're developing um, are coatings that can go on perhaps the facade of buildings that use um, ambient sunlight to remedy um, air pollution. So uh, in cities, there's a lot of traffic, roadside traffic. We haven't yet converted from petrol-powered cars to electric cars or, or maybe even hydrogen-powered cars. So as an interim measure to make sure the air we breathe is clean, then certain types of paints or windows or tiles these things can be coated with photocatalytic technology. That's what we're developing in my lab, um, which can, can use solar energy uh, to, to drive the conversion of these toxins into more ambient chemicals. Uh, and it does it with no net energy input. Um, it just works with, 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 with solar light. 
And a lot of these coatings can be um, integrated with how we currently make those materials. And that's just one example of, of the work that we do that's good for the environment. We're also developing technologies that could convert carbon dioxide emissions um, back into useful chemicals like carbon-based um, fuels or convert hydrogen, which I think this is more like the holy grail of, of our clean uh, future, is, is to convert water into hydrogen fuel, which when you burn it, it just goes straight back to, to water um, and there's no CO2 release. So that, that would be a very clean future where we wouldn't have to worry so much about emissions anymore if we move towards a hydrogen economy. But we can't move towards a hydrogen economy until we find clean ways, renewable ways, uh, sustainable ways of making hydrogen. And that could be using this photocatalytic technology, which uses ambient sunlight to drive the conversion of water into clean hydrogen fuel. Great, uh, fantastic work that you are doing. Now, I wanted to ask you, what, what are your opinions on afforestation as a way of dealing with global warming? I think it's good. Um, I understand that there's a lot of people on the planet now. We're approaching 8 billion. So we need to careful how we use our land. Okay, And we're running out of land in terms of arable land. So there's this subtle balance between how, ma how many areas we can replant forestry and how many areas we need for agriculture. Um, so there is a balance. It's not that we can just say, oh, there's lots of excess land that we can just plant lots of trees and that's that. We're kind of at a tipping point right now with how much life, how much human life there is on the planet and how many mouths there are to feed. But yes, deforestation, um, which is still happening in certain regions of the planet, um, is still happening. And we, we need to prevent that because deforestation is currently causing around up to about 10% of our uh, climate change. Um, so that's to do with how carbon dioxide is not um, sequestered anymore by, by these trees. So when you chop a tree down, it can't photosynthesize anymore and it can't convert carbon dioxide in the air into sugars that it then uses to grow. Um, and that, that becomes like a carbon sink. And when we cut these trees down and then perhaps burn them or turn them into other things like furniture or whatever, then we lose these carbon sinks. Um, and that's contributing to about 10% of climate change each year. So we need to firstly stop deforestation, which is the opposite of afforestation. Um, but realistically, whenever we, we, we chop something down, we need to make sure that we're planting sufficiently for the future so that it will be at least uh, net neutral. But if not, with afforestation, if we plant excess trees, then we can create lots more of these carbon sinks and start to pull out some of the CO2 that's in the atmosphere and start to reverse the effects of climate change. But it will only do a portion of what's needed to be done. Um, like I mentioned to you before, the deforestation is only causing 10% of climate change. The bulk of climate change is caused by us burning uh, petrochemicals. So we need to we need to stop that dirty practice as soon as possible and move towards uh, clean, cleaner fuels um, ASAP. That's the biggest problem from what I can see.
great. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Andres. Now, before we do let you go, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, would you like to tell us more ways that are being adopted now to deal with climate change? Ah, well, we can talk about it on um, a macro level or a micro level. Um, so in terms of a macro level, yes, over the years, um, different governments and, and, and large stakeholders have, have come together at these COP events, these uh, commu communities of parties, and we are discussing climate change every year to try and improve our commitments to climate change through policy. So improving our commitments to how much you know, renewable energy we will produce or how much reductions to fossil fuels we will, we will use. Um, so we're making new commitments every year um, and moving towards this idea, at least in the UK, where we'll be net neutral by the year 2050. That's the commitment of the UK and 66 other nations around the world. Uh, not everyone's come on board with that yet. But through policy, we're making change, but more on like a, a micro level where what can you and I do? I mean, there's, there's, there are things that we can do in our lives that will have positive impacts on the climate, on the environment. So yes, we can be very conservative about how we use our heating if, if we use natural gas, for example, which is of, a co of course contributing to climate change. We can be more energy efficient. We can insulate our homes better. We can use uh, water more effectively or scarcely, be less wasteful. We, we can walk more instead of using our car. There's, there's different choices we can make with certain brands of foods and things that we buy. Um, things can be more, um, how do you say, uh, environmentally friendly for us to, to, to buy. So when we're buying mm. beef, for example, we know that beef is contributing a lot to climate change. Um, for example, beef protein versus, say, soy protein, we know that cows per unit mass are contributing maybe 20 times more per unit mass to climate change than protein-based, uh, sorry, uh, plant-based protein. So we, could, we can opt for more like vegetables rather than being very meat-heavy. So there's certain choices that we make every day that all influence climate change. Um, so there's... There's a document that the, um, the Grantham Institute that I work at has released on uh, the things that I can do uh, to, to affect climate change, to make positive um, impacts on climate change. And I recommend that your viewers go check out the, the website at the Grantham Institute and that document that we produced if they care about how they can change their lives um, you know, in a step-by-step -step way. Uh, to really improve the situation. It's, there's things that we can do personally, and there's things that we can do also to lobby our ministers um, and our government to do better as well. Fantastic. Dr. Andreas, lecturer in climate change and the environment at Grantham Institute, Imperial College London. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. So according to Islamic teachings, uh, Allah the Almighty, he has created man as the best of creatures and endowed him to the extent that he personally re is responsible for the moral ordering of the natural world. 
And it is only when man began to fail in his duty, that is when man discovered ethics and morality from his pursuit of knowledge and his application that environmental pollution and degradation set in. And the only condition is that man must make conscious choice to make a beneficent use of these bounties for his physical and spiritual growth. And if he fails to do this, that is, if he misuses or abuses them, the very bounties may become the instrument of his ruin and destruction. So we are back to where we started from, that environmental degradation and global pollution we are witnessing are a reflection and manifestation of our misuse of God's bounties, of diverse hues. In other words, the degradation of our moral and pollution of the ethics of the society we live in are responsible for the degradation and pollution of our environment. And in Islam, man is given the role of a trusteeship over the earth, which is a huge responsibility. And in the past, man had to be careful how he treated his local environment since excessive grazing or agriculture could bring ruin to his livelihood. His knowledge was also limited, but in the event of a disaster, either through ignorance or abuse at least, uh, he could resort to moving elsewhere and now and start again. And now we, we, sh we should have a no excuse or ignorance and we should have learned from our past to avoid misuse. But what is worrying is that our responsibilities uh, has also increased considerably in line with our ability to use vast amounts of Earth's resources. And the crunch factor is that now the impact of our behaviors are not just local anymore, they are global. And if we fail to act in a responsible manner, then we cannot simply relocate because there will be nowhere else to go. And in Islam, rather than addressing each aspect of climate change individually, the Holy Quran, it provides a moral framework that facilitates human progress by providing a clear set of principle for the benefit of man. And this is because it is the behavior of a person that can influence not only just one, but many spheres of human activity, and these include the environment and sustainability. And that is why they are captured in this same framework. And Islam lays a great stress on the fact that there is a balance in the universe and that, and that this is a feature of God's creation. And he says in the Holy Quran in chapter 55, verse 8 to 10, and then, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the most, and the heavens he has raised high and set up a measure that you may not transgress the measure. So weigh all things in justice and fall not short of the measure. So here it's saying that uh, as man, we have a duty towards the environment um, and we, we should not transgress in the earth and the balance that God Almighty has set on the earth, we should try to maintain that. Um, and, you know, if we were, if we continuously uh, cut down trees, con if this continuous deforestation, if we continue our same habits, then ultimately, um, you know, we are the ones who are ruining the planet. So as custodians, as, as stewards of this planet, it is also our duty to look after that balance and make sure that it is maintained. Um, 
And with that, uh, we'll conclude the uh, Islamic perspective for this uh, particular subject. We're now moving on into our ne- next discussion. And we're looking at that can we set aside a third? Uh, we're looking at can teachers in England, um, will they not back down over pay, says Union. So, Imam Hassan, if you can please uh, go through the gist of the story for our listeners. Uh, yes, uh, so this is a, a news article from the BBC uh, regarding the recent <coughs> strikes uh, the teachers went to. Uh, and the gist of the story is that uh, more than half of schools in England closed or partial, partially closed when teachers in England and Wales went on strike on the 1st of February. And the Department for Education said that the talks earlier were constructive and a spokesman said that they discussed a range of issues including workload and teacher recruitment and retention. Uh, And the Education Secretary uh, Gillian Keegan asked officials to hold further delayed talks with unions and committed to more talks ahead of planned strike action. And uh, after the meeting, Kevin Courtney Uh, The Joint General Secretary uh, of the NEU said that uh, there was nothing we could work with to justify suspending the next day of regional strikes on the 28th of February. And he also said that while there was a more positive tone at today's talks and more meetings will be set up as a result, the outcome was was still disappointing. And the industrial action had been planned for the 14th of February, but was postponed after ministers offered an additional 1.5% rise on staff salary uh, and a one-off 1.5% payment. And the offer was put to the NEU members over the weekend, but they turned it down. And the Scottish government has also put forward a new offer, a 6% pay rise in the current year, and a further 5.5% uh, in the new financial year, which starts in April. Uh, EIS, Scotland's biggest teaching union, said that no decision had been made on whether to suspend action. Geoff Barton, the General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders, warned that without an improved offer in England, its own members and those of other unions could conclude that industrial action is the only option left. Uh, He said that there is a limit uh, to how many times we can come out of a meeting with the Education Secretary without progress being made. So yes, uh, this is the gist of the story. Thank you so much for that, uh, Imam Hassan. We are joined by our first uh, guest. Uh, We are joined by Associate Professor uh, Per Angzel uh, on the line. Uh, please forgive me if I've uh, mispronounced your name. Uh, you're yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so you. Thank you. Uh, so you're an associate professor of psycho- psychology at uh, UCL. Sociology. Uh, so, so sorry, beg your pardon. Sociology at UCL, Social Research Institute, University College London. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. So. I guess uh, one uh, particular 
question uh, which uh, which is on everyone's mind is regarding the strikes uh, and if you can please explain why are teachers why are they currently going on strike um well the 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 main issue here is uh, that pay rises uh, haven't kept up with inflation uh, and and that's been an issue um you know in the last few years but it's also been an issue for for um, a longer period so um teacher wages in this country have been falling in real terms so once you adjust for inflation they've been falling steadily since 2010 um so it's becoming harder and harder to uh live on a teacher wage uh and in the last year uh teacher pay in, in england was raised by five percent uh, now it's set to, to rise by 3%. Uh, but once you um, uh, put that against the uh, inflation of 11%, you know, you're know you having uh, a real cut in real wages. And this is the main issue here, as well as what is perceived as unsustainable uh, workload, so long hours. Uh, but predominantly, it's a dispute over pay. Great, thank you so much for that. And how might teachers' strikes affect pupils' learning um, and future economic success? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, when teachers take this action, this extreme action of withholding the labor, um, obviously for that to be an effective strategy, um, th- there is an assumption there that it has real consequences um, for, for, for pupils, um, for, for parents, for employers. Um, so is that the case? Well, um, we, we know that students have to go to school to learn, right? And I think we have all experienced this, um, during COVID-19, um, that, uh, you know, anyone who has been to school, who has children, um, in school or who works in school, um, realized that, uh, pupils have been struggling after, um, coming back from sort of long-term absence. And the same thing, um, will obviously happen when schools are forced to close uh, for other reasons, including teacher strikes. Um, So this is something that I have conducted research on myself, uh, both school closures during COVID-19 and and now also more recently, um, teacher uh, strikes. Uh, Now, so so there is obvious that student or pupils learning depends on uh, having this uh, face-to-face instruction on a regular basis. Uh, and, and, and this is the important work that teachers do. Um, now, what might not be so obvious is how this uh, can affect pupils much later in life. You know, when they finish school, they finish schools with, with less knowledge, with less skills, uh, with less qualifications. Um, this is going to also uh, affect uh, them in, in all other kinds of ways, including um, the, the, the wages that they are able to earn and ultimately um, the pr- production, the output of the economy. Um, so it really has, a, you know, teaching is this profession that really has, it's so vital to the core of our societies that it really has sort of knock-on effects um, on the whole of society and, and the whole economy. Even. Thank you so much for that. And also, uh, with all these strikes which have taken place, do, has it made a difference? Has the government taken action now? Um, so I'm not following this dispute in detail. Uh, so this, this is not what I'm an expert on. I'm, I'm an expert on um, uh, pupils' learning, mm. um, and I'm, I'm mainly studying this. Uh, I, I'm ma- I've been mainly studying teacher strikes that occur.
occurred and events that have occurred in the past because you know we need events that have occurred in the past to evaluate mm-hmm. their long-run outcomes. Um, so I'm not really following the, the, the progress here on a day-to-day basis, so you would probably be better uh, sure, to ask someone sure. about that. Uh, and in your view, does uh, industrial action uncover the value that uh, teachers bring to the economy? Yeah, so as I said, um, there have been uh, studies done, including by myself, uh, that have looked what happened when, when teacher strike, uh, strikes occurred in the past um, and uh, f- kind of followed the students who were then forced to stay home for a period of um, you know, a number of weeks and compared them. For example, um, one of these studies looked at what happened when um, uh, teachers went on strike in Belgium, uh, and Belgium has a French and a Flemish community. Um, so teachers in, in French Belgium were striking, and in Flemish Belgium they were not. So it was very easy to compare, you know, how those students courts um, did, um, and, and you can see that there was sort of a drop in the, uh, uh, you know, university attendance mm. and so on. You know, years down the line, um, in my research uh, as well as other research, um, we've also looked at wages. Um, and one study actually from Argentina estimated that the cost of teacher strikes, uh, so the the earnings that were lost because the students or pupils who are exposed to teacher strikes earn less uh, later in life, that earnings loss um, is is big enough to correspond to a 62% raise of teachers' salaries. Um, so, you know, that's quite a big chunk of money, uh, you know, even when compared to the demands that, that uh, uh, the teacher workforce is putting out there. So um, what I think this loss in aggregate economic output does tell you is that there is an incredible value, uh, not just an economic value, but also an economic value um, to, to the work that teachers do. And this is something uh, that we as a society should um, really recognize and, and remunerate accordingly. Brilliant. So uh, this is Asan speaking. Uh, I also have a couple of questions for you, Professor. Uh, the first one is, uh, what are some of the economic effects of a teacher strikes uh, and are there any other long-term effects? Um, yeah, so so as I said, um, these teacher strikes, they, they do have kind of knock-on economic effects uh, because education is so, it's such a vital component of what makes our economies tick you know we're 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 in the knowledge based economy um and skills um that students learn in school from an early age um are are absolutely crucial to success in the labor market um so uh um so 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 that is um you know the 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 first effect Uh, then of course there are all these other effects that that are much harder to measure. Um, I mean, we often talk about uh, we often talk about test scores. We often talk about um, you know uh, earning salaries because these are things that we know how to measure and put the value on. Um, but of course, um, there, there is um, a lot of other consequences that uh, are much more harder to 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 gauge or to actually observe in data, including you know. Um, the, the the strain that families have to face um, where you know when they're uh, dealing with 
um, trying to compensate for this um, or, or you know, school their children from home um, and um, so on and so forth. But um, since this is a dispute over pay, I think it's also relevant to kind of try to weigh, okay, like what are the demands here? What, what, what are the demands in terms of pay raises uh, that are put forth and how do they correspond to the actual economic value of, of the work that is being performed? Um, and uh, when you put these two in the balance, um, you, you can see that um, there is a real economic value um, to, to the work that teachers do. Brilliant. Uh, lastly, in your opinion, would paying teachers a higher wage make uh, economic sense? And would this prevent them from taking industrial action in the long run? Yeah, so it's funny you say that. I mean, uh, obviously, so what my research and uh, research of, of many others highlight is that there is a real um, sort of damage um, that can be caused by this type of um, industrial action. Uh, and if you think that is the problem that you want to prevent, which makes total sense, you might say, well, um, why why do we have to uh, raise teachers' wages? Um, why, why don't we just, aren't they just going to come back on strike next year, why don't we instead ban them from, from taking industrial action and then we have the problem dealt with. But what that neglects is that then you're also changing the dynamic, you know, when people are not giving the opportunity to negotiate um, f for fair pay and for, for fair working conditions, um, you're also going to affect the recruitment into the profession and it becomes more and more difficult to recruit and train and retain um, qualified teachers and um, so you have a deterioration of, of, of the quality of the workforce. Um, so the ideal scenario is one um, where you know, teachers and, and, and other workers um, are allowed to take this industrial action but where they don't have to, um, uh, where disputes are sort of resolved in goodwill um, at the negotiating table before they have to reach these extreme consequences. And I think that is um, something that is on the responsibility of, of, of both parts in this um, dispute. And uh, I think, um, you know, um, it, it's going to be dif difficult to resolve uh, with, without going some way to uh, meeting these demands. Um, so I, I absolutely, I think that um, paying teachers a higher wage uh, makes an economic sense, especially when seen against the real real term pay cuts that teachers have been facing for 10-15 years now. Perfect. Uh, Professor Per Angzo, thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station and sharing your expertise on this subject. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 0208687787 that's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us or you can even tweet to us at voice of islam uk or for more information uh, you can go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk now we do have another interview for our listeners and this is an interview of uh, Basira Tanjum Siddiqui and she her introduction is that uh, she is a specialism in theology and religious studies. Uh, she is also a teacher at a secondary school in London, uh, teaches the subject of religious studies and ethics. So we're just going to inter listen to her interview. So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station, Basira Tanjim Siddiqui, and 
your introduction is that your specialism in theology and religious studies. You're a teacher at a secondary school in London, um, and you teach the subjects of religious studies and ethics. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Waalaikumsalam. Jazakallah for having me on the show. Thank you. Um, now we're going to go straight into the discussion, and I wanted to ask you, what is the significance of education for children and young adults? Yeah, I think that's a really uh, important question. Um, teaching equips students with learning opportunities um, that they get from their core subjects, such as the basic understandings that they might need to pursue their careers. But I found with religious studies that they learn about socialization skills to be able to understand and accept and be tolerant towards other religions, which is basic understanding to become a better human being. And they're better able to sort of share their opinions and share their beliefs in an appropriate and safe environment. Absolutely. And uh, obviously it's a profession that, you know, you inspire these young children. Now, moving to my next question, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the challenges um, which teachers face? If you can please explain. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenge uh, right now in teaching, whether it's RS or any other subject, is the class sizes that we have. So it's to be able to provide those um, equal opportunities to students, even in a class of 30 with mixed ability students, to be able to provide equity and equality at the same time so that students are achieving their highest potential and having those appropriate opportunities. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And lastly, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to become a teacher or is thinking, how would you how would you direct them towards this? Yeah, again, really important uh, decision, I guess, for people um, who want to pursue teaching. I think those who really enjoy teaching and who welcome growth in young people and um, who are able to help and support students to achieve their highest potential should think about becoming teachers. It's a really good profession, but you should only become a teacher if you're really enjoying teaching, if you have a love to teach and really welcome the growth that you want in young people. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Basira Tanjam Siddiqui, for joining us today. Thank you for having me on the show. So that was an interview um, from Basira Siddiqui. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's very important uh, to, you know, have this opportunity where you are giving students um, that opportunity to learn, you know, and especially, you know, we are very blessed in this country to have free education um, where you know, places like Pakistan or any other poorer countries where, uh, you know, I, I remember that specifically they, w- they would ask for a fees and this was something very normal. And if you didn't have the money, then, uh, you know, you didn't have that right to education. And so in that sense, we are very lucky um, that, uh, especially in the developed countries, we have that right to education and uh, we have the capacities to excel within our particular fields and Islam if we look at the teachings of Islam Islam teaches that everyone has the right to add to education regardless of their creed race or religion for example if we look at the first chapter of the Holy Quran uh, 
referring to God Almighty, it says Rabbul Alameen that He is Lord of all the worlds. So this means that He is the provider and He sustained of all of humankind. So regardless of their race and their creed and their class, God Almighty's grace and His blessings are for everyone and even those that deny Him or speak ill of Him. Um, and similarly, uh, we believe that Muslim, all, all human beings are equal. So everyone has that right to education. And it is, no, it is known in history that when the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when he was elected as the head of state in Medina, he treated everyone equally. And it is narrated that once a lady uh, considered high amongst the society, she had committed a crime and it was suggested um, to turn a blind eye towards her. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, at that occasion he said that even if his daughter had committed a crime, she too would be punishable by law. So he rejected this thought of favoritism. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he instructed that uh, the literate and the well-educated, they should teach the illiterate. And this helped the weak amongst the um, amongst the societies to stand and advance. Um, and even at the Battle of Badr, which took place on the 18th month after migration, the prisoners which were taken captives, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he provided ransom to them. And he said that those who were literate, they would, they should teach first and the illiterate members of the society. So that is a very beautiful thing that, uh, you know, th we, we see that 1400 years ago, uh, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he said that even those prisoners who who are held captives, they, they could get their ransom by by teaching um, by teaching the, the the people of Medina at that time um, so through this within the society you know it pushed uh, people towards education and you know it's it's known that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he was illiterate you know he didn't know how to read or, or write um, and yet you know the the Holy Pro God Almighty had blessed him so much um, and we see that the Holy Quran, uh, countless places in the Holy Quran, it teaches man that he should ponder over the creations of the heavens and the earth. Um, and this way, uh, you know, it was it was directing man towards seeking knowledge and to towards that aspect. For example, it, it is known, it, it is narrated in chapter three, verse. 191 God Almighty says in the name of the Holy, in, in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of the night and day there are signs indeed for man of understanding so God Almighty was directing uh, man to look towards the the creation of heaven and the earth and ponder over it and even another verse of the Holy Quran in chapter uh, 20 verse 115 uh, you know we are taught the prayer Rabbi Zidnilma, that oh my lord increase me in my lord knowledge so through that you know we, we see that uh, Muslims at that age uh, Arabia itself known as a place where uh, which was known in the society as a backward nation you know though these people had excelled in knowledge so much so 
that uh, at a time it became the it, it became the global hub for <clears throat> for knowledge and then you have people such as ibn haytham who who had developed the first camera and his revolutionary work has even been recognized by unesco when he was declared as a pioneer of modern optics and it's also very interesting to note that the word camera itself is derived from the arabic word kamera and also others are also recognized uh, for such works uh, such muslim scholars even to this day for example um, i'll quote uh, this a new york times article published by their science reporter Dennis Overby, Overby he mentions the role of Muslim polymath Al-Tulsi and the author states that and I quote that Al-Tulsi published many great works on astronomy on ethics on mathematics and philosophy making him as one of the great intellects of his age and Muslims created a society that in the middle ages was the scientific center of the world and the Arabic language was synonymous with learning and science for 500 years a golden year age that can among its credits for the procurers to modern universities and and this was something which uh, not only the holy quran but the holy prophet peace be upon him on countless occasions he encouraged the companions to seek knowledge uh, i mean there's a very famous uh, narration of the holy prophet peace be upon him where he said that you should go as far as china to to attain knowledge and at that time um to go to china was something very difficult you know they, they didn't have the planes at, or boats at that time but rather <coughs> the best mode of transport was through camels and horses so the holy prophet peace be upon him said that even if you have to go through a difficult journey to attain knowledge you you should do so indeed imam tuki sahab so as you have explained uh, islam has given great importance to teachers and also to uh, attaining knowledge and regarding the status of teachers in islam uh, it, islam has gone to say that uh, the the status of a teacher is like of a spiritual father the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at one occasion said that there are three types of parents uh, one who gives birth to the child uh the second one who uh, educates a child and the third one is the father in law so a teacher is also a kind of father or parent uh and uh, islam has called them a spiritual father and the status of parents in islam is is very high you know there is there's many sayings of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him regarding this uh once he said that Uh, the happiness of god lies in the happiness of us of parents and god is also unhappy when parents are unhappy uh, at another place he said that the place of a teacher is equal to a spiritual father as i've already mentioned so this tells us what uh, that we should respect our teachers the way we should respect our parents then regarding the status of parents the holy prophet also said that um the the parents feed the body of the children but teachers provide them with food for their mind and soul so teachers teach students by taking them out of the darkness of ignorance so this is why a nation that 
respects its parents and teachers always succeeds and prospers. And at another occasion, the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also said that uh, the person is cursed who found either both his parents or just one in his old age and could not earn paradise. So this also applies to teachers uh, that uh, we should um, respect our teachers in the same way we respect our parents uh, and uh, we should always be grateful to them and for all our lives whenever we can um, if we can do anything uh, good for them uh, we should do that absolutely uh, quite right you know you, you've said that a, a, a teacher you know he has a role um, like a father mm-hmm. as such that you know they they guide the children mm-hmm. um, and you know they they inspire them for for the future so yes. very, very rightly said and it's interesting to know that even the third uh, caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community he desired for a new dawn of great Muslim scientists and academics to emerge so within our community he started a tradition of rewarding gold medals for academic excellence and each year hundreds of Amdi Muslim boys and girls or men and women they are awarded gold medals so that itself encourages people within the society you know to to do well in their education um, and uh, you know going back towards the the you know we were looking at the golden age of Islam I just wanted to mention a few more points with regards to that as well. Um, in the 12th century, a Muslim uh, cartographer produced uh, what, what was regarded as the most extensive and accurate world map of the medieval times, which was used for centuries by travelers. And furthermore, in the field of medicine, many Muslims, physicians and scientists made great discoveries and pioneered many inventions that remain in use today and many of the surgical instruments were pioneered by Muslim physician Al-Zawari in the 10th century and in the 7th century uh, an English physician William Harvey he famously carried out what was considered as ground breaking research um, regarding blood circulation and the function of the heart however it was later discovered that uh, more than 400 years before Harvey's research Ibn Nafis, an Arab physician, had already detailed the basics of uh, preliminary circulation in, in in an Arabic textbook. And in the 19th century, um, Jabir bin Hayyan, he brought about a revolution in, in the field of chemistry. He invented many of the basic processes and apparatus still in use today, and the principles of algebra were first developed by Muslim uh, as uh, as much of the theory of trigonometry and in the modern world um, algorithms are the basics of modern computing and technology they too were first developed by Muslims so the contribution of Muslims to intellectual enlightenment is still recognized uh, so it's Islam itself in a nutshell it uh, emphasizes that you should seek knowledge and you know even if you have to go through a tough journey difficulty to attain that knowledge you should do so as mentioned by the holy prophet peace be upon him um so with that um we'll we'll uh, we'll close this discussion 
um, and you know leaves me the last few minutes to thank the producer Barira Mansoor and uh, Dr. Saqib Ahmed uh, for their hard work in producing this uh, this uh, this script and also to the researchers Aman Meer, Neha Latif, Neha Ahmed, Yusra Khan and Maha Iftikhar for their hard work. Um, you know, great production skills from them and also um, to Brother Shafiq from the tech team for for his hard work in the background so thank you so much and lastly to thank you to all our listeners for listening in um, and uh, do give your feedback uh, that is always welcomed uh, you can do so by tweeting us at Voice of Islam UK or you can go on our website as well on www.voiceofislam.co.uk or you can even call us on 0286877878. So uh, that was the show today. We do hope that you've had, uh, you've enjoyed the show. And until next time, it's Assalamu Alaikum from us here in the studio of Voice of Islam.